Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, boxing fans around the world. We got an exciting weekend, do we? Tomorrow, wow, it's all about to jump off tomorrow. I love it. We're here. We're here and in here and now. Luther Vandross, may you rest in peace. Let's get into our schedule for boxing. First up, first and foremost, the return of Chris Eubank Jr., next gen, fighting Liam Williams up in Cardiff. Uh, it's going to be broadcast on Sky Sports and ESPN. And if you know anything about either guy, and you probably do, but if you know anything about either guy, I expect this one's going to be a very interesting fight from a Styles perspective because, of course, Eubank Jr. fancies himself a boxer puncher, but he seems to have issues with true boxers. And Liam Williams is one that I think will test Eubank. And if you ask me, this is one of those where either guy, this is like their their gate, right? This is the test. This is the final test. If it, Either guy has to be able to get rid of the other one. You've got to be able to get rid of the other one because if you can't, you've been on declines, you've had some losses, you've had some issues, and we need to see who's going to move forward and who's going to move backward. I'm. It's hard to pick this one, but if I had to go with my gut on what I think based on both fighters, not just styles, but just heart and the desire of wanting it, something tells me that Eubank Jr. is going to pull it out. I have a sense that it's going to be a stoppage, but if I had to go with it again, I think the stoppage is going to be a little bit disputed, meaning that probably Liam could he could go on, but the ref jumps in or something else because of Eubank's style. Something tells me the ref's just going to get involved and we're going to see kind of a stoppage that people don't like to see. That's my gut speaking. I could be way the heck off, but I am just kind of resonating with Liam Williams in general and his style and Eubank's style. Eubank's style is a very come forward type of guy. I don't think Liam Williams is going to go after Eubank because he knows Eubank is dangerous, but something tells me that Eubank's just going to be able to get some shot and it's going to do just enough to trigger the ref to pull a stoppage. I hope not, because I think it's one of those that deserves to go to the distance, but it's a test on both on both sides. We got to see what the heck's going to happen. Now, the controversy around this fight. Apparently, there's a rematch clause requested by the Eubank camp, and this was touted as possible lack of confidence in the ability for Eubank to get the win. I find it ironic that he's getting flack for doing that because, of course, people criticize Lomachenko for not requesting a rematch clause against Tiafimo because he didn't request a rematch clause and they took a loss and then he wanted a rematch and Tio's like, no, you didn't do a rematch clause and you wouldn't have given me one. So this speaks to the inconsistency on places like NSB and others where there's on this type of fighter and perhaps it's skin tone, I can't say, but on this class of fighter, you should do a rematch clause, just protect yourself and say all safe. On this class of fighter, if you do or don't do a rematch clause, you're going to get criticized yay or nay. And it speaks to how the community perceives these guys where we're not receptive to the fact that they're doing the best thing for their own business. I argued way back that Liam Lomachenko was stupid for not getting a rematch clause in his fight because ultimately it's a big match fight. Like we should have had a rematch clause for big match fights, no matter what the outcome would have been. It doesn't go to fear. It doesn't mean you're nervous. It doesn't mean you think you're going to lose. It means you're smart. You're business smart. Floyd would request rematches frequently through his fights. He requested a rematch clause for Chino Maidana because he said, you know what? Let's run that back. He requested a rematch clause for Castillo because he said, you know what? Let's run that back. People criticized him because he didn't do a rematch clause for Oscar De La Hoya. But the problem is Oscar De La Hoya. During that whole fiasco, Oscar De La Hoya was playing games and Floyd knew what the deal was. And plus, you had Bob Arum still in the mix somewhat. 
So Floyd did smart things in his career, and he strategically picked when to do a rematch clause when it made sense for the business of boxing, which I think a lot of people online don't understand is the business of boxing. So kudos to Eubank if he did request a rematch clause. Perhaps he does think he might have a hard time with this fight. I do think it's going to be a tough fight for him, but I think that he might be able to get just enough to be able to make this thing happen where the rematch clause becomes a moot point. That's my gut speaking. I don't have any inside information other than that. And then, of course, the return of Keith, once upon a time, Thurman. And he's going to be fighting, of course, Mario Barrios, who most recently fought at lightweight. And I want to stress it again because people don't listen. Mario Barrios has fought at welterweight before. He did go back and look at his earlier career. He did fight at welterweight before. Of course, there might have been a catchweight. point is, he's not new to the size. And when you saw the face-off, it was obvious. Mario Barrios is not a tiny dude. I still say there's something not for me, my angle. Something looks weird with Keith. Not, not even his hairline. I'm talking just in general. There's something weird. And it feels wrong. It feels like Mario Barros is going to pull off this upset. I could be way off, but I there's something I see to my eyes that Mario Barros is going to pull an upset, even if he doesn't deserve to get his hand raised. I just had that sense because Mario looked he looked bigger, he looked stronger. Keith, when he was talking, he didn't seem he didn't seem assured of himself. He didn't seem like the confidence was really there. He's he's talking a good game, but there's nothing behind it, and I'm not really sure what it is. Maybe he's hiding, you know, maybe he's playing cards and he's hiding his hand. But I just get the sense that Mario Barros is going to pull off the upset. I am cheering for Keith Thurman, and I want to stress that. I am cheering for Thurman. I want Thurman to win because we need guys like him who can sell fights back in the mix at welterweight for as long as he's going to be at welterweight. I just, something about Mario Barros stands out. And again, you know, if we look at the Akhmedov fight, for example, for Barrios. You know, Barrios shouldn't have got his hand raised. We know that. He shouldn't have got his hand raised. However, he's still a stylistically good fighter, tough fighter. He gave a pretty tough outing to Tank Davis. Tank Davis did get the stoppage, but the point is he gave a pretty tough fight to Tank Davis. And I'm thinking people might be underrating Barrios. I know the bookies kind of went back and forth. They first said, you know what, we're pretty strong on Thurman, and they were slightly strong on Barrios, and it's kind of settled a little bit. Just from my eyes and what I see, it feels to me that Barros has a very strong opportunity to pull off a major upset. Let's hope it doesn't happen because I do want to see Keith once upon a time Thurman back in the mix to kind of shake up the welterweight division because it's needed it for a very long time. Of course, that's going to happen on pay-per-view. It's out in Las Vegas out here at the Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino. And it's on pay-per-view, which has got a lot of people pissed off because they feel like this is not a pay-per-view level fight. But you got to understand, Keith Thurman is a pay-per-view fighter. That's just what he is now because he has the name. And the name is what draws it. But they understand that in order to be able to pay these guys what they want, they got to put it on pay-per-view. And pay-per-view has been doing rather successfully. There are people that are willing to pay for it as long as guys are there that they know who the heck they're talking about. And Again, Barrios had the exposure from the tank fight. So I think they did the right thing for what they needed to do at this time to make sure both guys can get in the ring. And it has a basically decent undercard. I'm not going to say it's a great undercard, but I, I think I think people aren't giving this a fair chance, my opinion. I don't think it's given a fair chance. So let me talk about some of the guys you're going to see. Some of these are on the pay-per-view undercard. Some of these are on the regular stream. Um, but just to talk about some things you're going to see. Omar Juarez, he's out of Texas. He's fighting Abel Ramos. Everybody knows who he is, or some do. He's there. 
Carlos, they're they're on the free, so you can watch those guys. So if you're an Abel Ramos fan in particular, I would take a look at that one. Carlos Castro, he's out of Phoenix. He's fighting Luis Neri. Luis Neri, of course, has been regarded as one of the top fighters in boxing today. A junior featherweight is where he campaigns, but people look at him as kind of pound-for-pound pound level. I don't, but others do. He's fighting on the pay-per-view side. Jesus Ramos, who's people say you need to watch out for this kid. He's an up-and-coming fighter. He's very exciting, very explosive. Take a look at him. He's fighting on the pay-per-view side. His opponent's not that good, to be honest. And so we don't expect that one to last <laughs> the full 10 rounds, but that's out there. And then, of course, the return of Leo Santa Cruz. He's had some losses, but he's still a name. He's still a top-flight fighter. Fighting a junior lightweight, that's also on the pay-per-view undercard for Keith Once Upon a Time Thurman versus Mario Barrios. Check all that out. Speaking of Thurman, he's been talking a little bit more about the guys at welterweight still there, Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford, and he's talked about, you know, those two guys tangling to determine welterweight supremacy. And then, of course, Jordanius Ugas, who I still say Thurman should have fought Ugas first rather than uh, trying to go after who he's been going after. He initially went after or tried to go after Errol Spence. Errol Spence said no because you ducked me way back in the yester. And so now Thurman's like, oh, man, move on. Why are you salty? Now he was trying to get a fight back with Crawford. And, of course, Crawford, he's a free agent. He's not able to get a fight either. To me, it's fights that are willing to be made and they need to be made. They're going to be hard to be made. He's kind of come out and said, you know what? Let's look at Crawford's performance with and why it didn't sell. Now, first of all, Crawford had gone on Porter's podcast, and he basically said, you know, our fight with Porter and Crawford, was on ESPN Plus, and as a result, nobody knows how to use that, so we didn't sell as much. We know that that's part of it, but also what's part of it is that Crawford doesn't sell. We know this. Thurman sells. He's a name. He's going to draw money. And so Thurman's been trying to get Crawford in the ring against him now that he wants a belt because he didn't have one. Of course, before, he didn't want to unify with Crawford when he had the chance to, like I think he should have, because I think at that time, Thurman would have had a good chance of beating Crawford even if it was close to the cards. Well, now Thurman's doing nothing but talk, and he said, you know what, I went back and watched that fight, and ultimately, yeah, he closed it, but the performance overall wasn't all that good. It really was Sean. Sean didn't. Sean wasn't really there. He felt like he wasn't fully there, and I don't think he fought the best Sean. The best Sean was the one against Spence and the one against Thurman himself. I fully agree with everything Thurman's saying. I just think that at the end of the day, I was disappointed when Kenny Porter stopped the fight and if you go back and there's an alternate angle footage that's floating around on Aki, AKHI TV's video that shows there's somebody else that's there in the corner that's trying to stop Kenny Porter from stopping the fight. So we knew that this was a one-sided thing with just him. And then what pissed me off is Kenny Porter gotten in the ring and he was talking to Bo Mack and Crawford and said, see my smile? So it's like people on certain forums were saying, okay, yeah, that's because Kenny Porter placed a bet on his son to lose in round 10 and then he strategically stopped the fight in round 10 when Sean wasn't hurt because Sean wasn't hurt. So now all this comes to surface and, you know, Thurman's doing a brilliant thing because he's putting all this back in, he's keeping it in the limelight to keep talking about, yeah, Crawford got it done, but he didn't look that good and we didn't see the best Sean and we see with what's going on with Kenny Porter and all this stuff and he hasn't been in there with somebody that's really going to challenge and test him. I think Porter tested him. I had Porter winning going into round 10. So I think Porter tested him. This is true, but we didn't get a chance to see a real good outcome. That's what we were cheated out of. So if Keith is able to get it done against Barrios and prove me wrong 
and show that, no, he's still here and he's that man, then yes, I would love to see him against guys like Crawford, guys like Ugas, and then later Spence isn't going to happen. But you know what I'm saying? Now, if Thurman gets a belt, which means he'd have to beat Crawford or Ugas, and of course Spence is probably going to fight Ugas next. So let's say he fights Crawford and he beats Crawford. Now Spence is going to have no choice but to fight him if he really wants to unify it. If he doesn't fight Thurman, that means he's nonsense about his unification. So Thurman's doing a brilliant thing here. He's, he's using his mouth to try to get a book into a fight. Some people don't like that, but the truth is this is how you get fights made is you cause enough chatter, enough chirping that eventually it's like, you know what? Just make the damn fight. Like we used to see in the old days and we stopped seeing, we certainly never see it, saw it from Crawford's camp. We did see it at points from Spence's camp. And then we, we always saw it from like Sean Porter's camp. So I'm loving seeing that kind of chatter and that kind of beef come up to back to the surface. Virgil Ortiz, who's the other up and coming rising star at 147. He's now coming back. He's going to be fighting Michael McKinson. This is going to happen next month. And people are going to be having eyes on him for his return because we think, I say we because I'm saying pretty much it's uni uniform. We think that Virgil Ortiz is going to be one of those guys that's going to make a little noise at 147 as an upcoming fighter. He's, of course, Golden Boy. And, of course, Golden Boy has been pushing to get him those fights. Him being Golden Boy holds him back a little bit because most of those welterweights, of course, are at PBC. Now, there's an opportunity for, let's say, if Crawford can't get a dance partner and Ortiz is able to pull it out, Crawford's been out for a little bit of time, but he should be ready to come back roughly about, what, April, May, June, July, somewhere around that time frame. So there's an opportunity to potentially get Virgil Ortiz in the ring there if there's an if there's an appetite to do it. I don't know if there's an appetite to do it on both sides. If there's a chance for Virgil Ortiz to get a title shot, he's ranked number three at WBO, which means he'd be a quality opponent for Crawford to fight. I just don't think that he is going to get that chance. That's my opinion. So now Virgil Ortiz holds the WBO Intercontinental Welterweight title. Normally what happens is if you hold a lesser title within a certain org, it kind of positions you for the, the head guy, the main guy. We see this with the interim, you know, the regular, the and these intercontinentals and the regionals. We see that happen all the time. So I'm I'm basically laying the foundation that it wouldn't surprise me to see that at some point Virgil Ortiz starts calling out Crawford again. Now, whether Crawford wants to smoke is a whole different problem, obviously. And then, of course, on the flip side of the broadcast, this is on a different network, so it's not the Fox that I just talked about. But on the flip side of the network, on the zone, we're going to see, of course, we had some replacements, Carlos Cuadras versus Jesse Rodriguez. And the people across the web are telling me that Jesse, a.k.a. Bam Rodriguez, is underrated. He's going to blow out Carlos Cuadras because Cuadras is washed. I don't know that Carlos is, is washed. I didn't see that. I have watched Rodriguez footage. I'm not saying he's a bad fighter, but if you've listened to any of my other episodes, you know I put a very high standard around experience, actual rounds in the books. Quadras has been through wars. He's been in there with the best in the division in rounds, and he's beaten the best. So I, I see it from an experience perspective. Carlos Quadras is the more experienced fighter. He's the more war battle-tested fighter. So it's not that I'm dismissing him or I'm overlooking him or I'm ignoring him or I'm saying he doesn't have a chance. Everybody's got a chance, right? I'm saying that from the just the lens of experience in that ring, rounds in the books, who you've beaten, who you've been in there with, who has tested you, 
I'm saying that Quadras, he's a crafty fighter that is going to figure out how to pull it out. It might go close. It could be that Rodriguez shocks the world. It could be that Quadras takes him light. He's a late, uh, Rodriguez is a late replace. That could play factor. There's a lot of unknowns. I'm just saying from the experience side, I didn't see this obvious win for Jesse Rodriguez. I see that Quadras is going to go in there and do what Quadras does, which is figure out how to get the win against somebody who's not a terrible fighter, but he does not appear to be from my eyes at the same level. If Rodriguez goes in there and does what everybody thinks he should do and he's able to shock the world, kudos to him because then we have a shakeup here at Super Flyweight, and that's all good. And remember, Rodriguez, he normally campaigns at Flyweight, so he's a smaller guy, and he's coming in. Now, in the face-off, this was obvious. We could see that there's certainly a size difference between these two guys, and that's going to play a difference, I believe, in the fight. Now, it could be that his smaller size helps him be that much faster than Quadras, or it could be that his small size makes him susceptible to what Quadras is coming back at him with. We just don't know. I just, from my eyes, my lens, I got to go Quadras on this one. If Rodriguez pulls it out, I will celebrate him. I will cheer him because it's a shakeup in the super flyweight division, which has been needed. We like the four guys. We like the fact that they're up there and they're fighting each other, or it's three now, but the four total, right? It's Rongbijai, Quadras, Estrada, and Chocolatito. And of course, the reason I say it's three now is because, is because we don't really know what's going to happen with Estrada. But there's still technically four guys in the mix. Any new blood in there is always good because we want to see fresh blood come out and do that. And this division always gives us the action-packed fights. That's happening on the zone. If you're in the Phoenix era, Zona area, it's at the Footprint Arena. That's happening tomorrow. So you might want to check that one out. If you're a fan of the smaller guys, I highly recommend it because I think you're going to see some action packed uh, on that one for certain. Now, let me spin over because I did my updates on schedule and I'm happy with the schedule and the way it's broken out. But I want to talk about the the whole business, the, everything that's going on. We've got a number of what I like to call marinating fights or the, you know, that's called marinating fights. And I want to talk about some of these because I don't think people really understand the business of boxing and how it plays in factors. So number one on the list is Dillian White versus Tyson Fury. And of course there was the first bid and the first bid of course went huge and it's, it's more money than Dillian White would ever have made even though it's 20% of the total purse and Tyson Fury is going to make a bank a bank. And I believe Tyson Fury beats Dillian white with ease. So it's, it's like you're getting bank for taking a soft touch. But the theory is that Dillian white will take it and Tyson Fury will refuse it. I don't, I don't know where that's coming from, but it got me thinking you've got Anthony Joshua over here and he's supposed to rematch Alexander Usyk. That rematch is more a formality. It's more just to see, is Joshua still in it or did he just have a bad night, right? What went happened? What happened there? We're still avoiding, I think, the important, most important fight in the heavyweight division. And I don't know why, because to me, personal, outsider, I still want to see Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua solve it. One fight, no rematch. There will be a decision. I'd like to see, let's say, five judges Give me a, you know, give me a number of judges where there cannot be a draw, where there has to be a winner. Give me 13 rounds so we can't have an even 6-6. Six, six. Like, do everything you must do to make sure that we are going to have a winner, one winner, one fight, period. Solve that. Once we solve that, have that person fight Alexander Usyk. 
people are like, why? Because Wilder doesn't deserve it. I think he does because I think he's done a good job of holding up the heavyweight division, not just on the the WBC side, but kind of keeping it propped up, keeping it in the mainstream, keeping it aware. We, we didn't have hardly any kind of exposure and heavyweight true exposure until Wilder started doing it. And then these other guys started getting these fights booked. But now we're back at the world where we have the so-called smaller guys headlining these fights, which was totally against what War Tresora was talking about. But we're back to square one. We're away from the heavyweight being the ones that thrive and the ones that draw. And I believe that there are fans out there that really are waiting for the heavyweights to come back because they just simply don't like the smaller guys for whatever reason. They just don't like the smaller guys. They like the monsters to get in there and slug it. And Tyson Fury and Dillian White is the perfect example of a heavyweight slugfest. That's exactly what it would be. I just think that Tyson Fury would be way too much for Dillian, but at least it's a heavyweight fight. So there's a deadline of February 21st to see and see if that one gets booked and get done. It's something, but I still think that from my angle, I wish that Joshua would fight Wilder and just get that solved because I think it would be one of the biggest drawing fights of the current modern generation, even though they're coming off losses, even though they have knockouts on record. I still think the beef between them and the way they built that thing is something huge, and I don't think that they're capitalizing on it, which is very unfortunate. But then on the flip side now, go down to 168, and you got, of course, Boo Boo Andre is still there, and he's talking his smoke and all that stuff. And then you got Canelo and figure out what he's going to do, and then you got Charlo and figure out what he's going to do. And meanwhile, some of these guys aren't fighting each other. And then you got 175, you got guys not fighting each other. You got welterweight, guys not fighting each other. Lightweight, guys not fighting each other. And we can always say, well, the networks are in play, and they are to some degree. And we can always say promoters, Bob Arum, Al Heyman, we can say all this, and it's somewhat true. But we also have to kind of hold the fighters accountable. Here's where I'm going with this. When Let's look at welterweight, because it's the easiest to talk about. Keith, once upon a time, Thurman has been with PVC pretty much since it launched. Errol Spence signed with PVC a little bit after the fact, right? Errol Spence has specifically said he doesn't want to fight Keith Thurman because Keith Thurman ducked him, which is true. However, Spence has also said, whoever has a belt, once you have something I want, I'm going to come after you, which is why up to this point, he never wanted to fight Jordanius Ugas because Ugas never had a belt. Once Ugas had a belt, immediately Spence goes after him. But then Manny Pacquiao comes back in the mix. Well, Spence goes after Pacquiao because the WBA started to play games. Spence wants the belt. So he's going where the belt is. We see a pattern where he's going after belts. The logical then response from the fighters should be, my job is to get a belt. I don't care which belt. I need to get a belt because I want Spence. Instead, what we're seeing is guys like Boots Ennis, guys like Crawford, and others who just, they say, no, I just want Spence, and that's it. That's the next fight. That's the next fight. They don't want to earn a belt. Crawford went years without, and he's defending his belt, but he's not going after another one to force it, to force the fight. You leave Spence with options to go and fight these other guys to unify there, and he leaves you to last. And if you're okay with that, cool, because it makes the fight bigger. But if you want to fight him now, like Crawford, dude, why aren't you going after freaking Ugas when you had the chance? You had the chance to go after him, and you didn't. Why aren't you going after Thurman when you had the chance and you didn't? Instead, you're going after Pacquiao, knowing full well that fight wasn't going to happen because of the beef between Bob Arum and Manny Pacquiao and then Arum going in the public media talking about, I could, you know, all the money I'm losing on him, I could buy a house in the Beverly Hills. Nice house. Your promoter's trashing you. You have no credibility. And this guy's over here A-siding on you and you're not doing what's necessary to force it. 
And then you're turning fans on your side because they just see you're fighting. They don't see that you don't understand the business of boxing just like they don't. And so that the fans, these type fans who just celebrate your fighting and the people who don't understand the business, they're holding us back from the fights. It's not Spence. It's not Al Heyman. They're holding us back. You got to understand when a guy has a mission to go after belts, they're going to go after belts. We can criticize the need for belts all we care to, but that's not Spence's fault. He knows that's what the casuals want. The casuals want the belts. The casuals want to see a champion. The casuals want that champion fight presence. Okay, as a fighter, you should be going after those champions and knock them out. I don't care if they are lesser in the eyes of the hardcores. I don't care what social media says. Who cares? Do what you got to do to get the fights done. That means you got to give it yourself. If you're the B side, acknowledge it and say, whatever it takes, I'll just knock them out and become that A side. So now we get to heavyweight. And in heavyweight specter, people largely don't regard Alexander Usyk as the guy, even though he holds the vast majority of the belts. Tyson Fury is still regarded as the guy. Why? Because he's lineal champion. He has been lineal champion because he beat the man who beat the man. So if we look at heavyweight now, and Joshua's trying to get back belts, so he's fighting for belts. Wilder was fighting for belts. Tyson Fury was fighting for belts. Dillian White has not been fighting for belts because he really can't, but he hasn't really offered either. Warchasora, he didn't really try to fight for belts, not actively. And that may simply be politics on his side. But my point is, some of these guys, they're not going after belts. And with heavyweight, it's harder because you really only got two guys and they're basically the best in the division. So you want them for the money, but are you going after them because they have belts or are you going after them for the money? There's a difference. If you're going after them for the belts because you want to unify, there should be a hunger. And it should come through loud and clear in the way you fight and the way you perform in that ring. So when I look at a guy like born-ass Frank Sanchez, I don't see this guy wants to be a unified heavyweight champion at all. I see like a guy that he's here, he's going to collect a check while he's here, and at some point he's going to drop out of the business because he doesn't show me anything otherwise. Let's look at 168. I mean, God, I broke it down the other day. Yes, Canelo Alvarez, as right now, he has every single belt at 168 that matter. He unified the freaking division. 160, though, you got guys that are going to go into 168 and they all are pointing at Canelo. How come none of these guys are willing to fight each other and unify 160, unify 154, unify 175 to make a case for unified versus unified to say, I'm just as good as Canelo is because I just did it in my place and now I want to fight him. Unified against unified, that's a sell fight. You're able to sell it to the casuals and none of them are willing to do it. This is my big criticism of guys like Charlo, both Charlos, frankly, because there doesn't seem to be a desire to truly unify. As I understand it, Jamal Charlo's on the verge of potentially some unification here soon. I hope that happens because it'll tell me that, yes, he's trying to force that fight and, and actually make those moves. My summary point, though, is that I don't see, with the exception of super flyweight, I don't see a an active attempt to go after champions. And I think that's hurting the business more than anything else. I don't think it's Wilder's body on the record. I don't think it's any of that crap. I think it's, we're not seeing fighters actively go after belts. And then we have online hardcores who dismiss the value of belts. And then that just makes things worse. Do we have too many belts? Absolutely. But it is what it is. So I want to see unifications. I want to see you're going after champions. I want to see that you're belt snatching as much as you can. And every fighter should be wanting to do that. 
with George Stephen Punk Cambosis right now, there's chatter he's going to fight Lomachenko. If you heard my other episode, I said that's a better fight to me than Tank than uh, Devin Haney. Why? Because I don't think it's guaranteed that Lomachenko beats Cambosis, to be honest. And number two, I think Haney wins a boring decision against Cambosis and then becomes unified. It's not that I don't think Haney's a good fighter. I just don't think he's going to sell the casuals. And I don't think it's fair that your, your champion, your unified champion, is stuck on a bout where you're having to charge a bunch of people a bunch of money for pay-per-view for a fight that's not worth pay-per-view. That's not, that's not a pay-per-view fight. Haney is not a pay-per-view fighter. But they'd have to do that to pay Haney what he wants and to pay Kembosis what he deserves. No, I'd rather see him fight Lomachenko. Let Lomachenko get the rematch. He was cheated because Tia Fimo was, was acting like a girl. And let's do this right. And then let's get to a point. That winner then fights Haney because at that point you've built it up. You've got more exposure and more eyes on the product. There's a narrative that people, they should have it now. In some cases, yes. But in that case specifically, I'm not talking the other divisions now. I'm talking lightweight. Yes, the hardcores are aware that there's a thing here. But outside of that bubble, Nobody really knows many of the lightweights other than Tank Davis and Lomachenko. And Lomachenko isn't really truly a lightweight. Let's be honest, he's small. So there are fans of Lomachenko, and they like to see him fight, and he's campaigning at lightweight, and that's cool. But ultimately, nobody really knows who the lightweights are. Nobody really cares who the lightweights are because the lightweights, they've largely avoided each other, to be honest and fair. Tank Davis is the only one who stepped up and fought main fighters. He's fought guys who had a, a fan following and a backing. That's then given them exposure that he would not have had had he not fought those guys. No matter how much you criticize him, you know, guys like Gamboa had a following. Guys like Barrios have a following, and the, they know that. The only criticism I give Tank is that Tank stopped going after belts because Tank, for whatever reason, can't figure out what weight class he's going to fight at. That's my only criticism of him, but like Devin Haney, he stopped going after belts because when Tia Fimo had it, yes, he was calling out Tia Fimo, but he knew that Tia Fimo was doing his own stuff, trying to get Ryan in the ring, trying to get Tank in the ring, trying to fight all these other ones. And then Tia Fimo had his own issues and he has them still, the mental issues and all the other stuff. So Devin knew that, but Devin stuck with a title that basically is meaningless because the freaking WBC Suleiman came out and said it's essentially worthless. Okay. If I'm Devin Haney, I go to a different division. I make some noise. So that I can justify, look, I was there, I had the title, they ducked me. I went to a different division and I made it happen. Now let's do Unified Unified and make that happen. And that's going to appeal to the casual fans. It feels like a lot of these fighters don't seem to understand this. They don't seem to understand that if you can't get it done where you're at, go somewhere else and get it done. And yes, I know contracts hold you back and I know networks hold you back and I know promoters hold you back. But that means that you shouldn't be re-signing with those same promoters who are not behaving and performing for you. You should go where you're going to be appreciated. And that assumes that you've sold yourself enough that you should be a good commodity for the boxing business. So in summary, my point only is to say for all these fighters, if any fighter listens to any of my podcast entries, I'll say it straight. I'll say it to your face. To me, as somebody on the outside, your job should be to go after titles because you know that's where the casuals are looking, as at the champions. There's a lot of belts. We should try to consolidate and clean it up best we can. And every fighter that's there, I believe your goal should be to be a unified champion in whatever division. If you're not able to do it in the division that you primarily campaign at, don't stay there for the money. Go to a different division where you're going to be able to do that so that you can make that message clear that I'm here to unify so I couldn't get it done there. I went to this division and I did it. 
Now, you guys back down there, do you want the smoke up here and come fight me or do you want me to come back down there and take it from you? Now, the networks have no choice but to take notice because now you got this guy over here who went and did what he said he was going to do or she said she was going to do and now it's calling out the rest of them. It's, it's an indictment on the business that you got the women on the women's side and they're unifying all left and right. They're fighting each other left and right. They're fighting each other's champions. And some of them, I'm like, how the heck did you get that belt? Regardless, they're unifying. Why doesn't that happen on the men's side? And the women have the same network and politics and, you know, promoters and all that garbage, but they're able to get it done. So why can't the men get it done? At some point, you got to have to start placing some blame on the fighters to some degree to figure out how to shift that priority. If you're in the business just to make money, you drive taxis on the side or whatever, you're just here to make money, I applaud you. I celebrate you. I respect you. I respect you for getting in there and doing that. My point is if you if you got into this because you wanted to be a champion, but you're not going after champions, I think that's a problem and it's contributing to what we now see in how many belts there are out there. That's it, folks. I'm very excited for tomorrow's events because hopefully it will completely nullify what I just said and we'll start seeing more guys going after champions based on the winners of these various fights. Eubank Jr., who said he wants Golovkin, who is a champion. Keith, once upon a time, Thurman, who said he wants Crawford or Ugas or Spence. I don't think he's in Spence. And then hopefully Mario Barros, hopefully Mario Barros doesn't do what I think he's going to do. And hopefully he doesn't get the upset like I suspect he does. Cause I, I am cheering for Keith. I know it doesn't sound like it, but I am, I'm cheering for Keith. I just, something feels wrong. And I, I want Thurman back in the mix. I want the old Thurman, just like Porter said, I want the old Thurman that's there to shake up 147 Cause it also has the same problem of what I just described of guys other than Spence and Porter, not going after the champions. Now that we lost Porter, we need to shake up. However that happens, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I'm respectful of all guys that just are getting in the ring tomorrow, and I'm going to be excited. I'm going to be certainly watching those closely. I also am wishing, you know, the guys well that got ill, Strata and Rung Vijay, and hopefully they recover safely and correctly because we want them back in the mix because, again, Super Flyweight has, to date, been the only division where you do see fighters actually daring to be great.